So who did Black Friday shopping? You raving lunatics. Um, I didn't Black Friday shop. I, I don't. Um, I did end up going to a couple stores on Black Friday, but it was because of some projects that I was working on at home and had to get some supplies and some stuff in order to keep doing that. Um, thankfully, the stores that I went to weren't so insane and so crazy, but uh, so much so that whole Black Friday thing um, is one of those things that makes me a little nuts, a little crazy. Um, the The... It speaks very much, of course, to our culture's view of, of gifts, right? Um, how many times will you hear it? Have you heard it um, in the next several weeks that it's time to find the perfect gift, right? And everybody, every store um, that wants to get you in their doors and spend you to spend your money in their stores has the perfect gift, right? I mean, you can go to Walgreens and get the perfect gift. You can go to um, Best Buy and get the perfect gift. And go anywhere and get the perfect gift. There's even, uh, I, I, there is this, this one is, is impressive to me. I think it's Heltzberg Diamonds. Has anyone else seen this advertisement right now? That if you go to Heltzberg Diamonds and you spend, I think it's like $1,000 on jewelry, you get a free Xbox. And I'm trying to just sort of navigate what that means for who's buying jewelry and why they're buying it. So it means, I'm assuming it means gamers, go buy your loved one something shiny and sparkly so that you can ignore them for the next six weeks as you play whatever game you're going to play, right? I mean, it's just very counterintuitive, but it's it's sort of the culture that we live in. And, And it can be hard to give the perfect gift, can it? I mean, I've, I've actually I've had some success over the years uh, in my family and with Kristen and the kids and others with giving good gifts. Um, I've, I've uh, you know, had some things that I were thoughtful and received well. And there's, there's a beauty when someone unwraps that gift and it's the right and there's a little bit of light that comes to them. I mean, it just warms your heart. But I have to admit that I've also failed miserably on giving gifts. There was one famous episode in the Algersma house where I bought Kristen's slippers that were three sizes too big. And she basically looked at me and said, like, do you think I'm a man? I mean, what's going on? Um, and, and that was in the days of the video cameras, like with the, the tape and everything. So you hold them like this. And, and she actually, because other gifts weren't going well, I'm not going to go into the whole story. Um, but th- by the end, she was like, turn that off, which, you know, you know, that's a nice little holiday memory that you want to capture. It can be hard to give good gifts. But it's the season, right? We're in the season of gift giving. So how do we step out of the cultural view that we're in and step into the kingdom view of giving gifts that is godly and that prepares our hearts for the coming of the great gift, Jesus Christ? And that's what we want to think about this morning. And we're going to think about it using a passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 1. It's the first gospel in the New Testament. 
And we're going to read the second portion of that chapter. The first portion is the genealogy of Jesus, and it begins with Abraham. So there's, there's valuable stuff there. It puts the lineage of Christ, um, gives us understanding about where that comes from, and the faithfulness of God through the generations to his family and to his covenant promises. But we're going to spend some time thinking about the uh, second portion of that chapter where we get really, in essence, introduced to the narrative of the birth of Jesus in, in at, least, at least Matthew's telling. So beginning at verse 18, it says this, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, we hear that beginning of the story, right from the start. And within the first little section, we discover something pretty, well, it's pretty challenging. And that's, there's a glitch. I mean, there's this cultural ideal that we often have in our culture, it certainly was in Jewish culture, that a child is the product of a a marriage, a pledged marriage between a husband and wife that includes the um, lineage of that child being the husband and wife who are married. And we don't have that here. Mary and Joseph are betrothed, which is really as close to marriage as you can get, but they're not there yet. And not only that, but Mary at some point needs to come to Joseph and say say to him in her betrothal to him, I'm pregnant. And Joseph remembers the last several months of his life, and he thinks, wait, I wasn't involved. How, How could this be? And Mary then says to him, this statement, well, there is no other on this earth who is the father of my child. It's God. How do do you receive that? I mean, honestly, think about how do you receive that as an engaged man from the woman that you're engaged to saying to you, I am pregnant, you're not the father, God is. I even, I've been thinking about this actually in in another level because I'm almost getting to that point in life and I'm thinking about what if, what do we think about Mary's dad here? I mean, what is, how does he think about this? I mean, he, he hears Mary come to him. Mary comes to him and says, Dad, we need to talk. And, and Mary says to her dad, she says, Dad, um, I need you to know that I'm pregnant. And immediately, dad's probably thinking, well, Joseph and I are going to have a little talk. Quick, grab me my two by four. We're going to have a conversation. But then Mary says, no, 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 no. The, the father isn't Joseph. And he's like, oh boy. Well, who is he? And give me a baseball bat. It's God. 
Um, what do you do with that? Now, exceptionally, there's no other human that has ever had to go through that besides Mary's dad or, or Joseph, her betrothed. So, obviously, I mean, I hope you're not trying to think, oh, what should I do when my kid comes, tells me that, because I don't think you have to worry about it. But, they did. And how do you think about this coming of the Savior with this pretty big glitch? Well, first of all, I think what we're hearing here is that God's perfect plan doesn't always look so perfect to us, right? I mean, you think about your life, my life, our lives, and where we have seen God at work. And certainly there are times when I have wanted to sit and have coffee with God and give him the dry erase board of his mistakes and how he has done things along the way. Lord, you went left here, you should have gone right. Lord, you did this, you shouldn't have done that. Lord, this is something that I wished you would do because it would make this whole thing easier and yet it seems that you refuse to do it. And yet, the reality of it is, the older I get, the longer we live and the more we have eyes to see and ears to hear, what we realize is that God's plan is greater than ours, right? We experience that. Oh, certainly we will, I think, when we die, no matter how old we are or what we've gone through, we will have questions. We will wonder, God, why this, not that? Why this way, not that way? But I certainly can affirm in my own life that in the places where I was wanting God to take a left, he took a right, and in that right of of going that way, God's incredible plan, his ways that are higher than my ways, His thoughts that are higher than my thoughts were more beautiful than they could have ever been in this direction. We see that here. We see an illegitimate culturally child that becomes the salvation of the world. An illegitimate child that gives us the right, all of us, to become true children. That's God's perfect plan, but he does it in ways that seem challenging to us. And in order for this whole thing to work out, something pretty spectacular is going to have to happen. God's going to have to do some really amazing stuff. And oddly enough, he does it right from the beginning, even before Christ is born. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, this is Joseph, and he had in mind to divorce her quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. Now, Joseph is one of those really interesting characters of Scripture. 
that we don't know a lot about. What we do know right from the beginning, he's actually a pretty stand-up guy. See, Mary is pregnant. It's not his child. They are not married yet. But he doesn't want to shame her any more than she has already been shamed. So he's going to do the right thing by divorcing her. But he's going to do it quietly. He's not going to try to hold up Mary in the marketplace and say, look at this woman, how horrible she is. He's going to, in essence, say, it's clear I can't go this direction. So I'm just going to quietly step out the side door. So he's a pretty good guy from the beginning, but God says, no. That's trying to be good, but I want more. I want more from you, Joseph. I I want you to show the world something. So I want you to stay with Mary. And if you stay with Mary, you get to name my son. You get that privilege. You will call him, God says to Joseph. And what's interesting is you can almost imagine, and I try to picture what that conversation looked like between Joseph and the angel. The angel from God saying to Joseph, you know, you're trying to do what you think is good and what is right, but God is calling you to more. And Joseph is saying, hold on here. All I did was, I got pledged to be married to this girl. Why me? Why, why Why do I have to do this? But it's funny because it doesn't take him long, right? He doesn't even wake up the next morning and he's already on the road to make sure that Mary hears his words to her. He could not have done this unless God showed up. And in listening to God's voice, Joseph wasn't just able to name the hope of the world But he also gave Mary a gift. He gave her this enormous gift. Imagine that meeting when Joseph finally reaches Mary. And Mary probably was thinking the worst. I've shamed this man. We were betrothed and now, even though it is the Son of God and that's extraordinary and I'm carrying Christ's Son, I can't imagine that this man would be willing to live into that shame with me. And Joseph looks at her and he says, Mary, let's do this. I'm yours and you're mine. We're going we're gonna to live together. And I'm not just going to be your child's father, but I'm going to be your husband. What, what was Mary's response to that? What did that look like? Can you imagine her idea, her feeling, her experience of having this man that she expected, that culture says, that everyone says he's going to walk away, he should walk away, that's the right thing to do. He shouldn't be forced to enter into your shame with you. Instead, Joseph not only says, okay, I'm willing to accept your shame, I'm willing to embrace it you got to imagine that the face of this probably 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old girl just sat and looked at him in amazement. Really? 
I don't have to go through this alone. You'll be with me? And he says, yeah. I'm going to leave my mom and dad. And I'm going to join with you. And after the baby comes, we're going to be one. What a gift. In fact, we have a name for that gift. It's called grace. Mary gets what she doesn't deserve. How appropriate that even before the light of the world, the savior of the world is born, that already in the action of his earthly father, grace shows up. Because that's the hallmark of Christ. That's what God's gift is to us in Christ. Joseph is a foreshadow of what Jesus will do for all people. We, we sort of think of Joseph as a minor character, right? We don't know a lot about him. What do we know? We know he's a carpenter, right? We know that he is Mary's husband, right? We know that he takes them to Egypt, right? And we know that he brings them home. But what else do we know? Not really a lot. Little bits and pieces here and there. Certainly in the Catholic tradition, you know, they, they have so much high regard for Mary, the mother of God. But what do you hear about Joseph? Someone was telling me this morning that they've heard sermons that, are, that, are, are, that have been told about Joseph that, well, he wasn't really there for his son because we never hear about him later on. Well, maybe he died. He was older than Mary. That's certainly true. As far as I can see from who Joseph is, he may be a minor character in terms of the amount that we know about him, but he's a major character in what he shows to us because he shows to us what grace looks like. It means that you offer acceptance to one who is shamed. It means that you offer forgiveness to one who has wronged you. It means that you embrace with love somebody that the world might say is unacceptable. Because that's what Jesus did. Joseph is that picture right from the beginning of the story. Let's keep learning about what else and how else God called him to do it. Verse 22. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What we know here is that in Christ, God has given us his greatest gift, himself. We have the fullness of his presence, his love, and his grace. How appropriate that God ushers his son into the world through an extraordinary show of grace. See, we, we, we look at this and we think, okay, Joseph does, he gets the privilege. I mean, he gets a front seat to the infancy and to the adolescence and to the puberty of the Son of God. I mean, what, I don't know what he saw. We don't know many stories. We know a couple little ones along the way. Joseph in the temple or, or Jesus in the temple. 
We know that uh, we know very little beyond that. Where was Joseph in the story? But he got that privilege. He got the, the, the gift that God gave him because he was willing to offer a gift. Because he was willing to go a big step, a big step of saying, even though you should be unacceptable, even though there is wounding that I have experienced because of you, even though there is pain and there has been suffering in my life because of this situation, I'll show love, I'll show grace, I'll show forgiveness. And we're going to live together as a family. See, what's really interesting, this next couple verses have this beautiful word, and I almost guarantee you you're going to miss it, but it gives us a great picture of what Joseph is doing here. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her till she gave birth to his son. And he, Joseph, gave him the name Jesus. Jesus. Joseph got the privilege of naming the Son of God. There's one word in there I want you to grab onto. You're going to miss it, I almost guarantee you. It's the word home. Joseph brought Mary home with him. Now, I don't know about you, but I know what home means to me. Home is safe place. Home is closeness. Home is acceptance. Home is love. Home is warmth. We very much, Kristen and I, and for our family, want a home of love, a home of, of, of known and being known, a place where there is safety and security for us and our relationships, one with each other, but also then with others who we invite into our home. Joseph brought Mary home. And it's not just a physical, come with me. It is a relational, it is an emotional, it is a spiritual, come home. See, Joseph, instead of just giving tacit obedience to God's command, he lived into it. What I mean by that is this. God said to Joseph, take Mary as your wife. All right, okay, she can live with me. Separate bedrooms, I do my thing, she does her thing, I'll provide for her, I'll provide for the kid. I'll be her husband. But beyond that, nope. He didn't do that. He brought Mary home. He brought Mary into his life. He brought Mary into intimacy. He brought her into oneness. The power of that image should have power for us because that's, that's the image that we get for the grace of Christ, right? The grace of Christ is that God doesn't just call us, he, he's not just accepting us, he's not just tolerating us because of our sin. He's not just saying, okay, you're part of my family, but eh, you're on the outside, you get, you get the kids' table at Thanksgiving. No. In Christ, God says, I am one with you. 
I am united with you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. You are at home with me. When we hear that Christ became flesh and tabernacled, that is the dwelling with the oneness idea. So Joseph did it and God did it and now we're called to do it. And that's where it gets hard, right? Because it means that we are then called to extend that same level of grace and forgiveness and love to those like Joseph for whom it really isn't deserved. It really may not be appropriate. It may not feel right, but we're commanded to in the same way that Joseph was. Joseph was going to go his way. God commanded him, no, go, make, take Mary home with you. Take her into relationship with you. And now we're called to do likewise. That's really easy to do, isn't it? <laughs> Especially when you're sitting at the Thanksgiving table with him. Or with her. And we can't say their name without using that type of feeling in our voice. Him. The person that wronged us. Person who's hurt us. Person that I don't think I can ever forgive. See, we're going to see those people this time of year. We see them more than we usually do, right? We see them at Christmas. We see them at Thanksgiving. We see them at family gatherings. We see them at office parties. We see them at our neighborhood parties. We see them in a lot of different places. We see them on Facebook. And God calls us to those people especially this time of year, if we're going to live into the preparation of God offering us his son, his incredible gift of grace, if we are going to live in preparation for that gift, then it means that out of that gift, then we become good givers. We good, we're, we're good givers for those in our lives who are hard to forgive. And you know who they are, don't you? Those people who when you see their phone call, it's hard to answer. Or when you see their posting, you look at it with a sneer. Or when you see them someplace, you do absolutely everything that you can do to avoid them. And don't say you don't do it because we know you do. Because you don't want to go there. I don't want them in my home. I want to keep them out here. I want to tolerate them. Lord, you called me to forgive them. I'll forgive them. I'll forgive them so hard they'll not know what's coming. No. Grace. Forgiveness. Love. This Advent time is gift-giving time. This is the time of year when we talk about all the time. I don't want you to go out and Black Friday shop. I don't want you to go out and pursue more stuff. Don't give more jewelry. Don't give more Xboxes. Don't give more clothing. Don't go give more gift cards because that's not even really a gift. That's just a, hey, that just makes it easier sort of thing, right? I don't, well, I suppose there's some, if you don't give a gift to your wife, you get yourself in big trouble. So figure something out, but beyond that, what can you give? What can you give more of? Give more time. 
Who can you give time to? That family member who's in the retirement community who doesn't get many visitors. That neighbor down the street who you've never seen anyone park in front of their house. You can invite them over for a cup of coffee, a cup of tea. Maybe, maybe that won't work, but you can figure out something. Maybe you can just offer love. There's a lot of lonely folks around. There's people who are lonely sitting here right now. This is the most interaction that they're going to have all week with anybody. And they're here this morning and you can offer them simply love, time, listening ear, care. Maybe you can offer forgiveness. Maybe that's your gift. It's hard. It's hard. But I can tell you, I sit in my office and when I listen to people talk and I hear about the issues that people are walking through, 95% of the time, the issue is that that person has not ha- does not have the ability to forgive them, that person. To free yourself from that level of pain and those barriers in your life may be not just a gift that you give to another, but a gift that you can receive yourself. That, this time of year, give more. Give more. Time, grace, love. Because you know what's funny? I can barely remember 10 gifts that I've ever received in my life. Probably if you pressed me, I might be able to remember 15. But I remember driving down to Tim Hortons with Grandpa because he just wanted to spend 30 minutes with his grandson. And I will never forget being in the truck with my dad, going to the farm to work. It was pain and suffering that we had to do almost every weekend, go work on this farm that dad had. And we would go work. But man, the time that we got to spend, I am grateful for. And I wish I had more of it. I think of the time that person like Arlen Hoffman, person in this church has given me. He'll sit down. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. He like invades my personal space all the time. Come sit to my office. And he just says, how you doing? Thinking about you. Hope you're doing okay. Said that to me this morning after I shared with him the news of my family. Those are the things that we remember. Those other gifts. There's another text of scripture that talks about things that moth and rust destroy. That's all that stuff. But you can't destroy the other. Because it's a gift. A gift that God gives gift of grace let's pray you are the giver of all good gifts and we are grateful we are grateful this time of year mindful of just how much it costs you to give that gift cost you coming down to earth cost you going through gestation, labor, and delivery, going through infancy, going through cold and hunger, and ultimately in your adulthood going through suffering 
pain, rejection, and death. Your gift costs a great deal. And yet in your gift, O oh God, we have the greatest gift that could ever be given because we have a hope and a future. We have an eternity with you. We live in relationship with you. That's the gift. And now, Lord, you call us to live into that gift with others. That we be receivers of your gift and then givers of it again to others who, Lord, they don't deserve it so often. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve grace. They don't deserve love in the same way that we never did. And yet you call us to give. And Lord, give more. I pray, Father, for those who are here thinking about that person whom you are calling them to love and show grace to this time of year. Father, empower them, poke them, prod them, encourage them towards that end. Because, Lord, in that there is so much beauty. May not be something that we immediately experience now. But we know, Lord, that what we do in faith, you always honor and always is good. I pray, Father, that, Lord, you make our hearts more and more generous, that we hold on to things less and give more, and give more out of gratitude for everything that you have given unto us already. Pray this in Christ. Amen.